Welcome to Fashion Designers Get Paid, a podcast for burnt out fashion designers who want to ditch the toxic rat race, say bye-bye to backstabbing bosses, and work with brands who value and respect them. I'm your host, Heidi, and I believe that you can do things differently in your fashion career. Because the truth is, most industry jobs will underpay and overwork you, and having your own brand is far from profitable. Let's also be honest, most of them fail. So if you actually want to, well, be a fashion designer and get paid, the best way to do it is as a freelancer. Now, maybe you've been told that brands don't accept remote freelancers or that freelancing means being an exploited temp employee working full-time without benefits. Or to work freelance, you have to be a rock star expert with all the skills from design through development. I'm going to show you that it is possible to be a real freelancer in fashion, work remotely with brands you love, and make money, even if you're terrified you don't have all the answers. You got this, and I'm here to help you do it. In this episode, I'm talking to Rachel Batterby, the owner of Guided Makers, an apparel development agency. Rachel started her freelance career after 25 years in the fashion industry, and she built up to so many clients that she decided to start her company. In our conversation, she talks about the specific strategies that she used to get her first few clients, how she continued to grow and get consistent work and income, and how she started hiring other freelancers. She shares tons of great tips on leveraging LinkedIn to land projects and grow her network. On the other side of the table, Rachel also shares what she looks for in freelancers that she hires, as well as some of the good and bad experiences that she's had. So whether you're an established freelancer looking to grow your team or you're trying to get more clients, there is so much advice in my conversation with Rachel. Let's get to it. Hey, real quick, before we jump into the episode, if you're sick of being tied to a desk and want more freedom in your day, I want to help you. Snag my free limited time training, How to Freelance in Fashion, even if you're terrified you don't have all the answers, to learn my five-step freelancing framework so you can work for yourself in fashion and get paid. Get instant access at soheidi.com slash freelance. We'll link it in the show notes. All right, now let's get started. Well, welcome, Rachel, to the podcast. Um, I'd love to start out by having you introduce yourself and letting everybody know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So um, my name is Rachel Batterby and I am a the owner of Guided Makers, which is an apparel development agency slash consultancy uh, that we help uh, brands of all sizes and stages bring product to market. So my background, I've been in the industry for about probably, well, definitely over 25 years. So a lot of experience. And I actually started in the industry on the supply side, working for a supplier. So that's kind of where I, my teeth understood things like timelines and communication and overall process. And then I moved into brands and have worked with some larger brands such as uh, Mark Spencer in the UK, and then uh, moving to the US, worked with Timberland and L.L. Bean, mm. uh, are the larger brands. And they really, really gave me that full experience of the end-to-end process with a focus on apparel. And in all of that, I also have touched on areas such as merchandising, which is another key element that comes into the process sourcing um really um done a lot of work around the sourcing world and also been able to play with some of the creative things and get visibility and exposure to that too so my experience has really been very big picture well-rounded and not not solely focused on one area which 
is what I believe product development is. It's very much a picture. Yeah. So how did you first start Guided Makers? Or maybe it started like before it was Guided Makers. Did you start out doing like independent freelancing just sort of as like a one person? Like how did this whole path in your career begin where you went from, you know, working with L.L. Bean and these larger brands Mm -hmm. to being an independent consultant or freelancer? Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. I opted to step away from corporate. I, my, my job was evolving into something I didn't want to do. And I'd had some awesome experiences where I was much bigger picture thinker. Um, so I was like, okay, now's the time for me to step away and decide what's next, um, knowing what resonated with me. And then while I was figuring that out and trying to understand what was going to be next, uh, I had a lot of people reach out, connecting with people, grabbing coffee, and invariably towards the end of that conversation, a little bag would come out from somewhere and they would say, oh, I've got this idea and I was wondering if you could help. And I was like, hmm, okay, I'm sensing a theme, I'm sensing a need, and that is essentially what set me up. I was like, okay, people need help. People have ideas, and people don't know where to start. Yeah. So that that was me kind of getting off the ground and starting to share my knowledge and figure out what that looked like. How was I going to do it? Um, this was all pre-COVID so the concept okay. of working remotely from product was a little like how people are gonna people are less like common that. yeah yeah less common you know there was this whole mindset of like you've had to be there um but anyway it worked um there was plenty of people around me and then there were other people then starting to reach out oh hey I'm just starting to work with this brand can you help navigate this or hey we've got a sourcing question here So just word gets out there and um, that is how it started. Okay, but I- And that was pre-guided makers. That was you just working as an independent person. Correct, yeah, correct. Well, I just- I know the way this stuff typically works. Like, oh, I just started having coffee with people and and everybody mm-hmm. was then asking to hire me or, or can I help with this project or I have this idea, right? There's usually a little bit more nuance to it than that. Um, what did that process exactly look like for you to start getting those first few clients? Had you updated on LinkedIn? Were you reaching out to people directly to initiate these conversations? Like walk us through a little bit more of the detailed nuances that went on with that with that beginning stage yeah so yeah it was about letting people know you have to let people know I mean it's like and we say this to our clients too we we can make product to do whatever we're doing but unless we've got that confidence to kind of put it out there which is hard for a lot of people um then what we're doing just stays in a vacuum yeah. So yes, it is socializing it, using your network, putting on LinkedIn. I created just a landing page for my services mm. as a website. It was really something very basic, but it had to be a place for people to go. Yeah. Um, because in this world, people um, you know, Google, look you up, um, making sure that my experience, my LinkedIn profile was all up to date. I was got great. Um, testimonials on there from people I'd worked with yeah um so yes definitely a lot of all that and well connected in the industry so that really helps um so my network is already pretty large and respected 
So that is great. So people would uh, be comfortable to reach out or like refer on. The other thing I did, which was a bit of a happy accident, and I didn't intend for this to, to, to happen. It wasn't my intention, but I was also applying for jobs at the same time. It was like, okay, well, this is happening, but then I see this opportunity. Mm. And so one job I applied for, they could totally do it, but the fit, the fit wasn't right. The company wasn't right for me. The location, there was a lot that wasn't right. And, um, you know, they were keen to offer me a position. But after dialogue, and it was like, look, this isn't going to be right. I'm not going to be the best fit for your company and vice versa. How about we consider a freelance opportunity? And I could lay it out that it was affordable. I could get this specific project done for them. And so so essentially what I did is I seized an opportunity and I turned it around for it to to support a freelance it was up to them then at that point whether they wanted to do that and they were like oh actually that works and oh, we would love wow. to have your skill set yeah so that was that was like a slightly bigger company they wanted me to do something very specific and I just kind of slid in there and I did that for six months which was a way better outcome than me like either shoehorning myself into their company and something that I knew that I didn't really yeah. want to do or it wasn't the right fit yeah um but short term to help them through it was great so it was definitely seeing an opportunity turning it around and then making it fit kind of like my new desired path yeah and was that like a real remote freelance relationship or were you did you kind of go on site for those six months and you were working full-time with them, but just not as an actual employee? No, it was pretty much remote for about an hour or so from here. So I would maybe go down once a week, twice a week. But for the rest of it, it was remote. So it was, and it was slightly different. It wasn't all product development. There was a little bit of like looking at the assortment process was a big thing. The product development process or concept through to commercialization it, it actually even wasn't an apparel, um, but the process applies to everything. Okay. So I could look at the process and make some recommendations and talk to the team and things like that. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, it was it was quite different. But, yeah, it's all about seizing an opportunity and pitching it and, and, and then taking it from there. You know, how do you make something work and, and maybe suggesting to someone um, there's a different way? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Okay. So talk to us then, like, when did you start building out guided makers? Like at what point? So you said you started pre-COVID. When was that about? The guided makers actually launched uh July, I think of 2019. So yeah, I guess it's coming up to what, four four years. years? Yeah. Yeah. And so when did you start freelancing on your own? 2017. Okay. So then you launched Guided Makers about two years later. Like, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that and how did it start building out to be bigger than you? Yeah. So this came, but Guided Makers came about through networking, essentially, and meeting people. And it did start with a business partner, which was more focused on the technical side of the business. Okay. And so it was like a, a melding of two, sk- two skill sets um, for apparel development. So that's how it started. It was like, okay, how can we make these two skill sets work together in a more holistic view and way for clients? Yes. So that's essentially how it started. 
Um, it's now, um, I own Guided Makers and some of these specialized skills are actually managed through a network of freelancers. Yeah. Um, it's actually easier and more efficient that way. Uh, and then the clients get highly specialized skills to their product. Yep. So, and it's the same with design as well. So managing a network of freelancers in different areas. Okay. And uh, Guided Makers has just really grown from the outset. It's just through connections, network, referrals, job leads on to job. And what's happened is it's really grown into something more than just product development. Product development is concept to production, commercialization, which is great. It's critical. It's needed. Um, I'm a big believer in like we need a lot of information to do it really well you can't yeah. just can't just execute yeah um, in my opinion yeah. um, and so seeing a lot of that white space guided makers is really growing into something where we help the startup understand what how to get launched it's it's not just about your great idea yeah we need you to think about how you're going to sell it we yeah your investment we need you to think about your brand and then we can make it so um this is kind of more of what it's coming out to be in terms of like a larger holistic agency yeah. um to help brands whatever stage um and less about just product development yeah so you keep mentioning sort of this idea of like building out your networking or network and talking to people and relationships and stuff and i'd love to you know highlight that once more and, and hear a little bit more of the nuances behind that, because you live in Maine. This is not mm -hmm. a fashion hub. It's not like you live in New York city or London or something. And so like, and, and yes, you have, you know, this, this huge career behind you with all the people that you met along the way, but like, what does this air quote networking look like as you continue to build beyond an independent freelancer to, okay, now I'm starting this agency, this consultancy guided makers, and I've grown it to the extent that like, I now outsource to a bunch of other freelancers. It's not as simple mm -hmm. as like, oh, I'm just networking and just talking to people. It. Like, what does this actually yeah. look like? Yeah, well... <laughs> In some respects, it is about talking with people yeah. and networking, you know? It's like, how else do you do it to get your name out there and build those relationships? Yeah. And I think to build the relationships, you've got to build trust, right? And so it's baby steps. So a small job to build some trust to get kind of like your reputation out there is really critically important. And once mm. somebody has a really great experience with you, then they're happy to send somebody else on. Yeah. Or they're happy to have a continued conversation with you. Yeah. And so it's for me, I'm a believer of like I sell my, my greatest asset is myself and my experience, but I don't oversell myself. I don't want to oversell myself. I never want to oversell because if I can't do it, I can't do a great job. Yeah. And that for me is not best foot forward and stay true to what I can do really well. And I think that that comes out in conversations 
And the more people you speak with in the industry, they get it and they understand it. And then they immediately build confidence because they can hear about the experience. It's all about sharing that experience and just building that rapport and just getting the name out there. I'll go to trade shows and talk to people. I'll talk to factories about what are their experiences, what's happening with them talk to other freelancers what's happening what are your pain points and let's connect right it's it's okay to connect and it's okay to share yeah but a lot a lot of the referrals to date guiding makers has been 100% referral led Um, and that that is just through conversation or past connections yeah I would totally agree if you're younger and greener to the industry that's more challenging, right? You sure. haven't necessarily got that base built up, but it's really putting yourself out there and um, talking with people. And like I say, stay true to yourself. What can you do really, really well? How yeah. can you shine yeah. and sell that? Yeah. Don't overpromise and underdeliver because yeah. it's a small industry. It sure is. And it's yeah. wild. Yeah. It's it's so small and it's it's crazy to me. Um, you know, you say like just give the client, the customer a good experience and and kind of do what you've promised and do a great job. And mm-hmm. sometimes the I, I think people actually overestimate what it takes to do that. Like it's it's quite mm-hmm. simple. Do a good job at the mm-hmm. thing, right? Don't overpromise, deliver mm-hmm. on time. And just kind mm-hmm. of get done what you say you're going to get done. But it's kind of surprising. And maybe you've experienced this working with other freelancers. How many people don't actually do that? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so, okay. So going to trade shows, that's great. We have students that have done that with great success. Um, working with factories is great. We have a couple students who have created these amazing funnels with factories where these factories then yes. just like feed them clients, right? Yeah. Amazing Same. strategy. Yep. Yeah. Right. And then. Any like online platforms, do you utilize LinkedIn just to kind of stay in touch with people or like, is it pretty much factory, like talking to your resources and the people you're already connected with in the industry? Yeah. I mean, we leverage LinkedIn and I leverage LinkedIn and social media channels. Yeah, I would say social media channels don't really bring in any revenue. No. I've like, <laughs> we track all our referrals yeah. and it's like, I think in four years, maybe one person said Instagram. Yeah. So it's interesting, but you feel like there's a need and yeah, yeah keep doing it. Yeah. Um, Again, it's all about people tapping your name in. Where do you show up? Right. You build a credibility and a yeah. trust through your presence. Yeah. yeah. There's not where people are finding you. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn, absolutely. LinkedIn isn't really about your number one connection. And I might misspeak <laughs> here because I'm not a guru on LinkedIn, far from it, but it's about your second and third connections. Um, so you really want those second and third connections to be in the thousands, something like 15,000, yeah. um, because that's your reach. And that's where you can say, oh, do you mind making an introduction? Or, yeah. oh, hey, I saw this. When you see, you know how familiar you, are, familiar you are with brands or they may be needing some help. They can help put you in, in contact with the right people. Yeah. So versus just being kind of like out there, yeah. it's saying, oh, my friend so-and-so is connected to a hiring manager that's posted on LinkedIn that is struggling finding so-and-so. Yeah. So um, it's like just playing with that a little bit versus just at the surface level, for sure. 
I love um, that. But LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best way. And if there was any social to invest your time in, that would be the one. Yeah, I would agree with you completely. So have you done that strategy where you've sort of like seen this brand through like a, a second or third connection that's trying to fill this role or something? And then you have asked your contact that strategy you just outlined. Have you done that and gotten connections? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. totally. Yeah, totally. And then you can connect with those people and start that dialogue. Yeah, um, doesn't necessarily always convert. Sure, right? sure, sure. Not everything. You're never going to have a hundred percent conversion rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but absolutely, I've yeah. been like, I see they need this, and then I'll be like, we used to work there. Who's the person I really want to speak yeah. to? And I'll say this. Person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That. That's what it's there for. That's what it was yeah. always there for. It was to yeah. make the connections yeah. and allow for introductions. And I do it for others too. If I see yeah. somebody saying they need somebody, yeah, I'll reach out to somebody I know to say, you need to speak to so-and-so. Okay. Um, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get back to the episode in about 20 seconds, but real quick, if you're scared to freelance in fashion without a steady paycheck, I want to show you exactly how to get a full list of clients so you can pay your bills and so you don't get your hopes up and then have to go right back to the fashion job you hate. I share it all in my free limited time training, how to freelance in fashion. Even if you're terrified, you don't have all the answers. Get instant access at soheidi.com slash freelance. We'll link it in the show notes. All right, now back to the episode. I love that. Okay, so many tangible strategies for like how you've actually gotten yeah. clients and built this all out. Okay, yeah, I yeah, want to talk sure. about like the freelancer side of things. So you mm-hmm. as, I don't know how to label you the hiring manager per se. I guess that's kind of like the generic bucket to yeah. put you in, right? But yeah. you hire other freelancers. And so mm-hmm. people who are listening to this or watching this um, who are freelancing, I would love to make this a really amazing learning opportunity for them. So first, what is your process typically for hiring freelancers? I think you said earlier, you have just like kind of reached out or connected with them. I know we mentioned, um, oh, this is before mm-hmm. we started recording, but one of my students, Allison Haynes, you reached out to her to see about possibly mm-hmm. outsourcing some projects to her. Mm-hmm. What's your process for like bringing a new freelancer on? Yeah, so it, it varies. Right. It could be a referral itself or it could be seeing somebody. I think Allison I'd seen on LinkedIn and I was intrigued. Yeah. She had some good posts. Um, seems really succinct in the messaging. I'm really clear in what she does. Yeah. And <laughs> I yeah, it's it was just like for me, it was like, oh, okay, this is somebody to connect with. As a freelancer, you like I'm incredibly shy. And I like the concept of reaching out to people is not my number one thing to do. Oh, wild, but the, oh, wild oh, the career wild. you've built with that characteristic. Yeah. <laughs> sort of picking up the phone and cold calling or yeah, it's like, it's not comfortable at all. However, over the last few years, definitely grown in that and it's a means to an end. It's part of the job and freelancing and having an agency or, you know, it's contracts and contracts, contracts, contracts. There's no, no continuous influx, right, of yeah. uh, revenue. So you have to do that. And that's a skill set you really have to be comfortable with and grow. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's what I do. I see people that are out there. If it's clear messaging, if they seem polished in what they're putting out there Mm. 
I'm comfortable then to say, hey, I'd love to connect with you. Would you like to chat? And they will either come back and say, yeah, I'd love to or no. And Alison was actually like saying, yeah, I'm following you. I'd like to chat with you too. <laughs> so chances are everybody likes to talk 100%. Everybody wants to talk and share their story. Yeah, so 99% people that you reach out to will want to ch chat and share their story. They want to connect. Anybody who's on LinkedIn, for example, it's all about connection. People aren't just hanging out on LinkedIn to look at the photos, right? It's about driving business. So, you know, so it's like, so be bold, put yourself out there. I'd love to talk to you. I would be happy with freelancers to call me to say, yeah. I'd love to learn more. I was going to ask. Be happy. Yeah. Do they reach like, out? I'm forever seeking out. Rarely. Rarely. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and there's, I'm not the only, you know, big in town. There's plenty of power development companies. There are. And so freelancers can be calling them and say, how do you, how are your structures? Do you have a need? Yeah. Right. You have to sell yourself. People yeah. aren't always going to come and find you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so my way of looking is using these tools or it might be a referral or if somebody used to reach out to me and have okay. a conversation. I did have somebody reach out the other day yeah, um, and that was a great conversation. Great. I was like, wow, okay, awesome. You're yeah. in my database. I have nothing right now, but you're in my database. And I love if it. I need that, yeah. I will call you. Um, so... Yeah. It, and, and the other thing I'm just going to say is I mentioned it earlier is don't oversell yourself. Mm, talk about too that many, a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Too many will say, oh, I can do that. Or I have mm. done that. Or yeah, that's fine. And we'll get into the project and not, it's not going to work. It's mm. not a good fit. They're not quite sure. It, it The lack of confidence to get through it. Well, I've never actually done this or mm. this is new. And that is a problem because if I have an employee on board, there's an element that I'm happy to train. And that's part of being an employee mm -hmm. as a freelancer. Um, I'm not here to train. Mm -hmm. I'm here for the services and yeah. we pay you for your services yeah. for what you offer. Yeah. And so that's when it becomes very sticky and it also then impacts on whomever's business or agency you're working with yeah. because people on to the client and you know we rate ourselves very highly in terms of a full service yeah. and good level of service and if one of those freelancers actually can't do the job it it, it becomes very challenging all around yeah so never and it falls back on you totally yeah totally Okay. Um, so, so you said two things that I want to learn a little bit more about. You said when you're looking out there for other freelancers, um, you look for two things. One where you've mentioned specifically with Allison, you're very succinct in her messaging and what she does and mm -hmm. presents herself in a very polished way. So I'd love for you to expand on both of those things, succinct and polished. Yeah, so succinct. It's just a direct message. It's just really clear. I could tell she was an awesome technical designer, pattern maker. And the way she delivers it is really polished. So she may put out a video or her post um, on LinkedIn, for example, may just be just a couple of sentences, which if you're in the industry, you're like, oh, she gets it. 
So just the word she's yeah. using and how she's speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how she's speaking. And so it, to me, it's demonstrating experience mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. on the same wavelength, right? Um, I want, I want to work with people who kind of understand our way of working too. You know, like I say, we're very holistic. We don't jump into product development until we know a certain number of things about a brand or or to be brand. Um, And if that resonates with a freelancer or somebody else who we may be working with, then they understand that process. There are other agencies that, excuse me, will just jump into product development Mm -hmm. and if that's how you work and not part of the big picture then maybe it's not a great fit yeah it's just like I just want to get it done and move on and some of those some of those projects don't really work like that for us we want to create a team yeah okay so um, what I think I'm kind of trying to extract out of you with the succinct thing, just because this is something I see come up with freelancers a lot, mm-hmm. and I try to teach them the opposite of that. Like you said, Allison, she's very savvy as a technical designer, a pattern maker. She specifically does women's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just very clear, like who she is, what she does and who her customer is versus mm-hmm. the opposite of that might be the freelancer. Who's kind of like, I can do this and I can do that. And I can do all the kajillion things. Right. right? Like, right just sort of trying to grasp at anything versus like, mm-hmm. no, this is my zone of genius. And this is what I focus on. Is right. that fair right. to say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, like I say, just at a glance, you know who she is and what she can do. Mm-hmm. And that fills you with confidence. Yeah. For me, it fills me with confidence. People also don't have time to weed through and yeah. to dig deep yeah. and to try to figure out what they do. Yeah, you need to be something if you are leveraging LinkedIn, for example, you just need to be very clear people are busy. It's like the same mentality as all the other social media channels. How do you capture some disattention? Yeah. And um, Alison certainly had done that for me. And I've seen her come up a few times. Um, So, yeah. So reaching out. So, yeah, it's just clarity, just real clarity. The other thing on LinkedIn too is like you see who people are connected with Mm. and if you have the right connections in the industry not right but sufficient or mutual Mm -hmm. that adds confidence yeah okay so dear listener (laughs) be very clear about who you are and who own your services as a freelancer look polished you know you need to show that you know what you're talking about and also don't be afraid to reach out right to Rachel right. or to other people like I always tell people this there are you know agencies like yourself or brands that like really want the person to do the thing and there's not a great I mean we've got like upwork and stuff but I don't feel like there's a great sort of matchmaking system right. so there's tremendous amount of opportunity when you present yourself right um right. okay so how do you how that's great. Some really awesome insights there, Rachel. Um, I'd love to know how do you work with freelancers? Are they in touch with the clients working directly, or does everything channel through you and you're the touch point for the client? Like, what does that look like from logistics side? So I would say every client and project is different. Okay. Every single one is different. Okay. So, but um, a good example is one that we're doing in swimwear right now. And that technical designer is in touch with the client. 
Okay. I don't really believe in being a middleman. I let the expert speak to the client. Um, this is where I have to have the trust, right? Um, yeah. Like, so do you know what you're doing and can yeah. you manage it? Which is a little um, scary sometimes. It's a little it's your scary, client at right? The end of the day. Yeah. 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 So that's really important. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be in the middle and um, always translating. Um, there are times where myself or there will be product developers here that are managing that project that will maybe like step in or have some extra questions or work with them on maybe um, tech pack update and things like that. Yeah. But I want I want the client and the technical designer, for example, or a designer um, to be speaking with the client. I think it's really important. It's part of the team. Okay. May, we have a team eyes on your product. That's really important. I talk about holistic all the time. So uh, it's it should be as many people as product as as possible to get that product and brand launch yeah. right. Yeah. Um, if you know if it's somebody's working on a Shopify website, they're part of that team. They're yeah. going to know what technical design is doing, and they're going to know what PD is doing from a timeline perspective. So it all goes hand in hand. There are times where a freelancer is not working at all with the client, and we've recently had to do a whole bunch of sketch sketches. Just take all this product. And put it into sketches okay right they don't need to communicate with the totally client. they're just oh. drawing a bunch of flats right. yeah they're just doing all the flats and yeah. they're just working with the team here and yeah. that gets done okay so yeah depends on the client depends on the project and the needs but if we're really truly developing product yeah being part of that conversation is yeah. um, is important I'd love to hear because I, we have a lot of freelancers in our community who are at capacity with their work and who are, you know, they still want to bring on more clients, but they're just like, Ugh, I'm booked out, you know, months in advance and I just, I can't do it. And they want to sort of start outsourcing and, and building maybe something out like an agency like you have logistically, and you don't have to share exact numbers if you don't want to, but like, how do you figure out the pricing for like, okay, here's what I'm quoting the client for the project, right? And then how do I budget in to then outsource part of that to a freelancer, whether that's an hourly rate to the freelancer or like a project rate um, to make sure that at the end of the day, you still need to make money and you're still the one that got the client in the first place. And is even mm-hmm. if you're, even if that, you know, technical designer PD, what have you is in direct relation, in direct contact, you're still managing the project and and still have mm-hmm. the whole relationship. Like, yeah. And, and I imagine there was some learning curve to that, but like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a continual learning curve. Okay. Um, I'm going to say, um, yeah, it's <laughs> for, for when, yeah. So when working with a freelancer, for example, I'll know their rates. And then depending on how the project is with the client, yeah. Um, we'll talk about whether it's an hourly or a fixed rate okay. and then then with that becomes the markup okay. for back to guided makers okay. so as with any agency if you're freelancing to them they're always going to take your rate and mark it up yep and that's what comes back in to your point we found the client we're managing the business totally we're doing you're not out getting sales you're yeah. we're doing sales job yeah. right yeah. so um that's essentially, in a nutshell, how it's working yeah. um, for with freelancers. 
we're here always trying to figure out the best way um, to build out to clients. It can be hourly, it can be fixed rate. Just I keep coming back to this word of trust and learning and relationships. Typically, to start out, we'll go with hourly rates because we don't know the client. We don't know how they work. We don't know how they operate. It's not black and white. Project development is not black and white and it takes it can take a long time. There's lots of curveballs and you know, we get off track and come back on. And depending on the client and the, the product, understanding all of that through an hourly rate is probably more sustainable. It is more sustainable as a business before the longer term relationship is like yeah. okay. Now we can move into fixed rate because we totally understand each other and this is how we're going to move it. And then as a business perspective, it's easier to manage. But I definitely found initially hourly is the way to go. Yeah. I always suggest that people start hourly. um, Mm -hmm. And then I, in my career, I actually never did hourly um, for a long list of reasons, but some clients get a little resistant to it, right? Because they're like, well, uh." and I think it's just a matter of how you pitch it, right? It's like, Okay, well, we estimate it's going to take, you know, X hour between, you know, mm-hmm. five and 10 hours or five and eight hours, what have you, 10 to 20. And then just keeping them in the loop, like, right, building that relationship, the trust of like, okay, here's where we're at. And like, this is what we've got done. And if they keep giving you a bunch of revisions and revisions and revisions, just having an open I, dialogue about that, right? Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like you have now figured out some sort of system, again, constant learning process, but like, if the freelancer is $50 an hour, then you're saying, okay, 50 times X, like some type of markup, mm-hmm. that's what you're actually mm-hmm. charging to the client. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk a little bit more about, you mentioned earlier, something that is a challenge with working with freelancers is when they sort of oversell themselves of like, yeah, I could do that. Right. And then you get deep in the project and it's like, Ugh. what are some other challenges that you've had with freelancers that you've hired um, during any part of the process, like that just kind of, if you could teach all the freelancers out there some lessons or give them some, some tips and advice, like what has been your experience, good and bad? <laughs> um, so the good, start with the good. Okay. Um, Cause there's not a lot of bad, but let's oh, start with great. the good. Okay. Yeah. So the good is, and it's, it's the same rules for us a little bit. Like you want your client to feel like they're the only client. Mm, Yeah. mm -hmm. And so it's a, you want them to be, you know, there's boundaries, but responsive on it, open to conversation. If we're having a technical issue here, they will get on the phone and work through it with them. um, Like on the tech pack, for example, just really open and collaborative and responsive. Yeah. That's great because you all want to work with people like that. The, the more of the negatives are, well, that's how I got it. What do you mean? Or, you know, statements of like, well, that's how I got it. So that's how you're going to keep it. Right. Versus like, oh, like I've a- asked you for your expertise. And it's like, well, you gave it me that way. So I'm not going to do anything with it. And it's like, well, hmm okay but we're not hearing your expertise or wait give me an example like if you give them a tech pack and they're like like a pack or a pattern and they're like there's always a bit of a blame well not always Mm. but some can be a bit of a blame like well that's what you gave to us and we'll be like yes but your role here is to improve on that 
or fix it or change it or provide a recommendation. Okay. To speak up and say like, here, we could do this better. Not just, well, I don't know. This is what they gave me. So this is what we're going to use type of attitude. Right. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Um, So that is when it becomes challenging and not, you know, not necessarily fun to work with because Mm -hmm. it's like, then you're having to draw out like, what is that recommendation or what shall we do from here? Yeah. So that is when it becomes a bit of a challenge, but that is where I think it kind of goes hand in hand with maybe a bit of the oversell that they're not Mm. necessarily going to be able to provide a solution. So that's just like one thing. So it's for me, it's really about that team, that openness, that willingness, that responsiveness, a thorough, thorough email yeah. um, is great. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's just really important versus just a one line or really disjointed. So communication is really important too. Yeah. So you've got to remember the way I see it is like freelancers, you're selling your expertise. So it has to come through. You know what I mean? It's it's like, I want to see it. We're paying for it. And so we want to see that come through. And that's why we're working with you because we believe in your expertise. Yeah. Do you ever have any challenges? Just because I've hired a lot of freelancers in my um, various businesses. Mm-hmm. And two big challenges that come up for me is just people delivering what they say they're going to deliver and doing it on time. And then also, and especially at the very beginning is being very communicative about like, here's where I'm at. Here's the status of the project. You know, you, this is something that makes me a little bit like, right. Is like you hire this freelancer and the project, let's say is going to take them a week. Right. And you like, don't really hear from them. And you're kind of like, well, are they doing it? I don't know. Is it getting done? And then like very last minute, you know, um, and that sort of relationship doesn't work for me. Um, I'm the kind of person, then they're gone. I can't work with that kind of person, but I don't want to have to like mid project be like, Hey, how's it going? Like, are you making any progress? Do you have any questions? Like, where are we at with this? Especially when you've got a client on the other side, who's reliant on this, you don't want to wait to that very last minute to find out they didn't do it or they didn't do it right. And then you're like, okay, well now I have to either explain that to my client or frantically pull an all nighter to figure this out or pay some other freelancer double, right? Like those sort of situations. And some of it feels like really common sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've learned over the years that a lot of people don't work that way. You know, they're fine Mm -hmm. with just like getting it done, doing no check-ins and then barely, barely delivering it on time, which gives me a lot of anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, no, you, you bring up a good point. We've definitely, I've definitely worked with some of those folks. They're the folks that I then shift what work they would get in the future Mm. um I don't work well like that either we're pretty clear about timelines here we will issue a timeline for the client and whomever's working on the project and the great freelancers will come back and say oh I'm on vacation that week is there any chance we can shift it yeah and have those dialogues so from the outset you kind of know the ones that are a little quiet are the ones that are going to be less consumer customer facing yeah. and be a little bit more in the background just doing the busy work and we will manage them accordingly so we keep an eye on everything according yeah. to our timeline and do kind of bug um, okay. but yeah communication is key and yeah. visibility is key on all of that and like yeah. I say just you just don't get a repeat business and I think it's a good self-check for any 
freelancer is to ask for feedback. Mm-hmm. Ask for feedback. Nobody asks me for feedback. They do I ask not. All, I ask all my clients for feedback and I ask them for feedback halfway through the project too. Yeah. And it's like, this is no different. If you want to grow, you want to grow your business, you want to get a great reputation, yeah. you're evolving all the time. Yeah. All the time. And you yeah. will learn all the time. It's happening still for me. I learn all the time. Yeah. Oh, I could have done that differently. Yeah. Or, oh, the client said that this was a little confusing. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll change that. Yeah. It's great feedback. I would say, because people are very, we're all blind to our own mistakes or you know shortfalls yeah. in business or in life and yeah. we don't see or hear it yeah we just don't and so you need someone to help you along yeah and it's really as simple as saying you know I want to check in like how are things going how are you feeling where do you feel things are going well like where do you feel things are maybe feeling a little tough like what feedback do you have just asking just those two questions where are things going well and what's feeling a little tough or where are things getting stuck And then people will, people are, most people are very happy to share. You just have to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And as a business owner, I will share because if I think your output is fantastic, Mm -hmm. getting there was painful. Mm. I want to keep the output, right? I want like, like for me, it's about my customer satisfaction. So I, I'll be like, yeah, you know, communication, we really need to pick that up and let's try to improve that going forward. Yeah. Or this, what we as a business would need, but yeah, Yeah. that, that would be a big piece of advice. They don't think freelancers ask it enough. They don't. And um, it's difficult to do. And I totally appreciate that. It's it's a little bit scary, but yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you have like you said, a database of freelancers that you kind of build out mm-hmm. based on, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, providing really specialized services to your various clients. And sometimes that's drawing a bunch of flats. Sometimes that's maybe something really, really technical. Do you guys, do you have a team as well? Employee team? Yeah, I have a product developer here. Okay. Um, so she works um, uh, here at Guided Makers okay. um, as an employee. And then I have another two consultants that come in quite regularly to help yeah um round out our services so they're not technically employees but they're in the office okay and they are more about that bigger picture look for helping a brand start uh, a line but then also existing clients if they need to tap into some of these extended services they can so um yeah typically um two to four people in the office on any given day depending on what's on the calendar Yeah. yeah and then all your freelancers are remote I mean, maybe if they happen to live close, they can touch base, but it sounds like pretty much remote. Yeah, some of them are local, actually, and can okay. come in maybe for a fitting or a design review. Yeah. Um, so always encourage that. Um, yeah. Working around a table is is great. There yeah. is no replacing that. Yeah. But um, everybody else is remote, and yeah. Zoom and Teams, it all works great. I encourage out. people to, if they have Teams or they subscribe to Microsoft, that's great for me as a business owner. I have everybody on IM. We're chatting all the time. Hey, did you know this is another thing about breaking down? Like, did you get to it yet? Or they can't access a tip pack and yeah. we're like, we'll change the setting, yeah. those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's about ease of communication is key as well. Yeah. And do you work, are most of your freelancers in the US or do you have people internationally as well? No, domestic, uh, domestic US. 
Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is there a reason for yeah. that or just by chance? I think it's by chance. Definitely been speaking to people in Canada. Okay. Um, but haven't worked with anybody outside of North America. Okay. Honest, it's totally doable though. Yeah, it is totally doable. Yeah. A lot of our students work with people around the globe. Um, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Rachel, this has been so fantastic. So many great, like actionable insights and lessons that people can use to build their own agency or consultancy and also get more clients and, you know, plenty of opportunities for those freelancers to work with agencies like you or the other ones that are out there. Um, yeah. I really appreciate your time and sharing. I'd love to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the podcast, which is what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Gosh, that's a good one. <laughs> is it glamorous? Yeah. Okay. No, it's not. <laughs> A lot of people think it's really glamorous. I, they like, do, oh, I know. Clothes and fashion. And da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, uh, no, not so glamorous. Know. Yeah. But it can be a lot of fun. And once you've got it in your bones and in your system, it's very difficult to step away. Yeah. Um, and that must be for a reason. It's just yeah. because it's like, I don't know, there's an energy. And the energy is there for sure. Yeah. And uh what keeps me in it I love it well thank you so much for sharing your your story and your insights you're welcome thank you for having me thanks so much for listening to the fashion designers get paid podcast if this episode inspired you in any way to get out of the mass-produced rat race and get your fashion career out of the hands of toxic corporate bosses just like one of my students did Alexandra who makes more money in one day of freelancing than she did in two weeks at her old industry job Yes, true story. I'd love to help you take control of your own destiny as a freelance fashion designer or TD, PD, pattern maker, etc. Get instant access to my free limited time training at soheidi.com slash freelance. We'll link it up in the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast. We release new episodes every Monday to help inspire you for or help you get through the week ahead. You got this? Me and my team are rooting for you.